So he's like 11, just driving a pickup truck with two kids not buckled in, sitting in welded on chairs in the back with guns, yeah, shooting at stuff. That's horrible, but that is the best thing I've ever fucking heard. So fun. <laughs> I would do that now. Okay, so okay. let's so, yeah. record the intro now. Just so what is Milkless? Because I think we start with the name. Two dads. We love our kids. But then we also need them to know that we're like pretty cool and it's not like a wimpy podcast. So, hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. Milkless. Hey, welcome. Hey. Hey, hey, Milkless. Call the audience, Milkless. What's up, Milkless? <laughs> Matt and Max coming at you. What if that's it? <laughs> that's our first take. This episode, we're going to be talking about risk tolerance. How much do you let your kids do? On the one hand, you got the helicopter, the hover, the padded room. On the other hand, you got the parents, here's a pack of matches and a hatchet. Don't come back till it's dark. There's not a right answer on this one. So how do you think about allowing your kids to be bold and take risks that will have rewards and also keep them alive, which is kind of rule number one. What do you think about this, Matt? Where, where, where do you see maybe yourself? Where do you see a lot of your friends or people in the world at? Um, and where do we want to be? Yeah, it's it's tricky because I think there's a lot of societal pressure around this. You're at the playground and there's the way the other parents are doing it, et cetera, et cetera. Relative to other parents, it's funny. I see there's some parents that are just like, Jesus, you're just going to let them go do anything. And other parents, where I'm like, Jesus, you're not going to let them do anything. So I don't have a great feel for where I fall on the spectrum, honestly. I'm curious, you lived in Amsterdam for a few years, and this is something that varies a lot from country to country. I mean, so when we moved there, I thought that I was one of the chill, lax parents. Uh, we go to the playgrounds in Amsterdam. We lived there for three years. We had uh, younger kids, and I was kind of under them on the jungle gym. I was helping them down the slide. I didn't want them to kind of slip back. On you know, I was kind of like all over them, and none of the other parents were up there. They're sitting on the benches. Look at this fucking American. Yeah, reading a book, or and I was like, huh, that was kind of strange. Fast forward, we go on a vacation to San Diego, like one or two years later, after we had been in Europe for a while, and I could not believe it. Every single kid had a parent like literally side by side with them. And that seemed super extreme to me. And yeah, I mean, the Dutch culture was very much like hands off. You know, one of our very good friends was like, yeah, look, if the kid's not going to have a spinal injury, eye injury, face, hands, we're talking about broken arm, you know, let it happen. So you told me that once and I liked it. You were like, no blindness, no spinals. Otherwise, like we're pretty good. And I kind of, I kind of like that, but I don't think I do that in practice. This is what's really, really hard about risk tolerance with your children is on the one hand, you want to keep them safe. On the other hand, you want them to experience the world. Well, guess what? Those are going to be at odds in some way or another. You go in a car every day. That's inherently dangerous. So that's the tough part. And I'm glad we're chatting about it today. How do you manage that? How do you think about that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, we have our kids in ski school. We live in Park City, Utah. Knock on wood, like, kids have died by being hit by people while they're on the ski mountain, in ski school, on this mountain. And part of me is like, wait a minute, what are we doing? Why would we even teach the kids to ski? It's such a dangerous sport. But it's a major part of my life. And you can't, you want to always game out the worst case scenario, but the worst case scenario, every time you get in a car is catastrophic, yeah. right? So you can't live in the worst case scenario all the time. Yeah. Like really what? Because I think there's times when I see, I'll see my daughter jumping from one thing to another thing. And I'm like, oh my God, she's going to break her neck. And then I think about it, it's like, nah, she's not. 
Split, she could split her chin open. She could split get, her chin open. If I get five stitches. We don't want that. But, but that's fine. Yeah, but that's Ish. fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not fine. You don't want it to happen every day, but it's it's fine. If it's one in ten thousand chance. That's that you're always doing this calculus. Yeah. It is super fucked up that like when you really get down to it, the chips are our kids' safety. Well, and you were saying, I remember we talked about this a little bit, and you were saying you get into this mindset where it's like, my first and most important job is to keep them alive. So how could I weigh anything over that? It usually is when I'm stressed or super tired. I I don't know. I think fear starts to take over, and I really just like worry about their safety in an unhealthy way, like too much. And I start to kind of get all, you know, weirded out. I mean, I think that I, in terms of American parents, I am probably closer to the lax parent that uh, I'm taking some some things from the Dutch from, from being there for three and a half years. But when I'm stressed, I can become helicoptery, mm. um, where I'll yell at the kid as if they're about to run into the street because they're swinging a stick. Well, when you're anxious, you go to your worst nightmare, right? Because you're already feeling anxious about whatever. Usually what you're feeling anxious about is not actually catastrophic. It's usually some work bullshit or something. Yeah, exactly. So you try to identify something that can justify the anxiety you're already feeling. Oh my God, what if something happened to my kid? Yeah. How do you, how do you, how would you say you, you trend? I think I trend, I think I am more helicoptery than I want to be. I don't know why. Well, here's an example. We uh, live on a few acres in the hill country, and so snakes are a part of our life. When it's warm outside, when my daughter goes out, she likes to run around the tall grass. We've got this big brush pile that I need to burn, et cetera, et cetera. She likes to go exploring there. And so, I'll talk about snakes. Yeah, like rattlesnakes? Yeah, we'll get the occasional rattlesnake. So I don't like the idea of just sending my daughter out to dig around in brush piles in the desert in Texas when it's hot. So I remind her, I think more than I should, out of my own worry and my own discomfort. I mean, I've scared up snakes in the backyard, and it's not fun. So you let her out. So you you talk about it. It's, good. it's a good warning because that can maybe change it from one in... A hundred if she's just traipsing through whatever to one in a thousand or even less by being aware of that sound of a rattler mm-hmm. or knowing like, don't stick your hand in a freaking hole under a bush, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Yeah. But it's just that we end up talking about it a lot and she thinks about snakes and bugs and cause we got scorpions, we got all the desert shit and she thinks about them and is more scared of them then probably is justified given how seldom we see them and the low odds, even if you do see a rattlesnake, that it will actually bite you. And even if it does, it's not good, but the odds that you'll die from that are extraordinarily low. That's, I think, what I get into with the, like, there's snakes. It's like, that's more like me at that point. And that's more about your anxiety than their safety. Right. And also this weird thing where it is more about you. It's like, you know, it's not going to happen, but I thought it. So I need to say it yeah. because if they, if, if, if they get bit by the snake and I don't, didn't say it, I'm going to eat myself alive for not having said it. So I'm going to say it. So even if the kid does get snatched by a snake, I'm absolved in the future. It won't hold up in court. You can't. (laughs) Your honor on the ring camera. You can hear me clearly saying, please be careful. All right. So I think what we're both saying is like, we, we don't want to be helicopter parents, but it, it creeps in. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. And I think this will help us as to why we want to maybe stay away from it while still keeping the kids safe. Uh, May of 2022 study 
um, they did a systematic review of 38 studies about helicopter parents. Mm. And it's basically, there's a direct relationship between like quintessential helicopter parenting and symptoms of anxiety and depression later in the children. Because it's too dangerous, like they'd be so afraid. Think about how that would manifest itself in other ways of the child's life, afraid of everything. And then also they don't really develop autonomy because they don't really know how to navigate the world. So it's not even just like, you know, I'm, I'm trading my child's safety for fun because I'm a fun guy. It's more than that. The challenge is that it's very easy to imagine the consequences of under helicopter parenting. They fall, they catastrophic injury. It's much harder to feel those long-term effects of like anxiety and, you know, less social behavior. It was the thing that people were weighing uh, with school closures during COVID. It's like, this is really scary. They could get COVID now. The longitudinal effects of missing two years of school. What is that? It's hard to weigh those two things. What percentage of it do you think is uh, is actually care of the child? And what percentage do you think is parents, how they think they'll be perceived by other parents? Oh. Like, for example, quick little study of N equals one, single sample size. It was during COVID. And in Amsterdam, it was very different. It wasn't polarized, like left and right, masks, no masks. It was, you know, very, very just whatever, science-based or whatever. And it was right when it was starting to happen. Basically, there was this, we were doing this little soccer thing with a young kid. And only one parent had been wearing a mask and I was not that parent. And so we were all kind of like, what is this person doing? Are they, they think they're like better than us or something? Like, <laughs> you don't have to wear a mask. Like it had just started. So there was no mask dynamics. This was like literally week one. We're like, chill. And then on the day that they strongly encouraged, but it wasn't required, Six out of the 10 parents were wearing masks. I was one of the parents wearing the mask. And immediately I flipped because I was in the majority. And I was like, what is this fucking, these fucking four parents not wearing the fucking mask? What the hell's going on over here? Literally the week before I was mask shaming the other person. It's weird, like this mob mentality. It's hard to let people parent differently than you do and not have either of those things be wrong. And I think that's why parents tend to be really judgmental of each other is we see somebody else doing it differently. And then it's like, oh God. I either got to question the way I'm doing it or shit on the way they're doing it. Um, and sometimes it's different. I mean, there's not a right answer. I think that the, the keys are making sure that it is about their safety and not your anxiety or your desire to fit in. This episode is brought to you by Violet Archer in the case of the Purple Martin. It's a chapter book with illustrations on every page. You can read it to them if they're five, six-year-olds, but then as soon as they can read up till 12, 13, it's an insanely good book with plot twists like worthy of an adult's attention. I love this thing. I'm so proud of Matt and Milkless of putting this thing out. So if you want to support Milkless and get an awesome book for your kids, it'd mean a whole lot to us if you bought it. Check the podcast description for the link to Amazon and buy it today. And if you already have it, you can pop back into Amazon and give us an honest review. Thanks. All right. So if, if you're feeling you're too helicopter, how do we let them have more freedom? Early on, I found that my wife was more risk tolerant than I was. And I was working a lot. And I realized that what it, what it was, was that my wife had been around my daughter more and she knew what she could do. So I think the more time you can spend with your kid doing physical stuff, you'll get an idea of like, yeah, she can jump that. And then I have always tried to do some things with my five-year-old that are dangerous, but do them together. Like, what are we talking about? Uh, starting fires um, in a fireplace or fire pit, yeah. not, you know. Yeah, just mild arson. Just light Mild arson, yeah, light. Fun arson. Just, you know, mischief. 
Um, you know, using a knife. In your hand or, or solo sharp knife alone? Solo sharp knife with me right there. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing that I try to remember. I can't remember where I heard this, but I have always remembered it and really taken it to heart because it, it helped uh, uh, justify a lot of the uh, horrible decisions I made when I was a teenager. Okay. So young wildebeest, before they reach adulthood, will play this game with each other where they will essentially goad each other to get closer to a lion. <laughs> and they'll actually nudge each other like closer. It's fucking nuts. And occasionally, tragically, yeah. a wildebeest gets eaten by a lion. There are some wildebeests that do not play this game. Okay. Presumably because they have helicopter wildebeest parents. 100%. Those wildebeests do not survive adulthood well at all because they do not know how close you can get to a lion before you'll get eaten. Interesting. There is a developmentally appropriate part of kids taking risks so they can find the boundaries of those risks and find what they're capable of and what's a really bad idea. The horrifying part of that is that sometimes wildebeest get eaten by lions playing this dumbass game. But I think about the wildebeest all the time. It just makes it not you're weighing their fun against risk. Yeah. I think it is risk now versus risk later. Or you live in fear. You live in fear and you don't get the firsthand experience of what is safe and what is not safe for you to be doing. Right. And then everything is scary because there's, there's, a, there's a sliding scale. And it, weirdly, I'm going to relate it to, to drug use. Um, something that my parents did that I, I really liked that we're going to try to emulate is really drawing the distinction between hard drugs and soft drugs. Just like letting them know, like, look, hard drugs will fucking kill you. Like heroin, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, so what about, what's, like, what's, what's marijuana? They're like, that's not a hard drug. I'm like, so am I allowed to do that? Like no comment, yeah. but don't fucking do heroin yeah. or you'll fucking die. Whereas there are other parents who maybe say all drugs are bad. All alcohol is bad. And then you're like 16 at a party, 17, you try a little booze, you try a little marijuana. You're like, wait a minute, this isn't bad at all. They were lying. I'm going to do heroin. I'm going to do heroin because it's in the same category yeah. of something you shouldn't do. You, you just can't be teaching them that all risk is bad keeping your kids from risk also keeps them out of a lot of physical activities that they yeah. then just don't develop the tools that they need to then go encounter the world and be safer out in that world. Cause they kind of know how to handle themselves. Yeah. It's weird. It's when we, when we are helicopter parents, when we are over indexed to keep our kids safe in a weird way, you're making them unsafe. Yeah. Weirdly not really painting an accurate picture of how close you can get to the lion backfired. It's, I, I would almost argue that it's impossible for you to paint a helpful picture of your kids for what the line is. They have to find it. Outside of death, spinal, and eyeballs. I don't actually let my daughter play that game with lines. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So no death, no spinals. Like, I am I'm gladly a helicopter parent and a psycho parent around swimming pools. Fuck yeah. And cars and roads. Ugh. Swimming pool, I like once I remember, and I was right there, but I just remember watching my daughter before she could slim, sl slip off a step in the pool and just totally, I can still feel this in my stomach when I think about it. Just watch her just go under helplessly. Yeah. And I, you know, I like immediately picked her up back out, but like, oh my God. Them seeing the fear in your eyes when they go near a street or something or say, I don't need to hold your hand and try to dart. And you grab them by the arm to like sit, literally save their life. Yeah. And like, I think they can see the fear in your yeah. eyes. Like mm -hmm. you can't ever do that. 
You must never go to the elephant graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, he immediately goes to the elephant graveyard. Yeah, God. You know, it's interesting. You're talking about that with the street. Amsterdam, there's cars, but there's not a ton of cars, right? It's bike lanes. Right. I, I remember just seeing all these kids just running around. And I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, oh, no cars. Yeah. That is like such a big driver of the, how far away you can be from your kid. Or what about this? Eight-year-old kids riding bikes to the city alone to school, like two miles. That's so boss. It's just, ooh, like, oh, when we saw that, we're just like, man. And some of our really close neighbor friends, I'm just like, man. It, but just, can you it, imagine as a kid how fucking cool that would be, man? Yeah, just like uh, biking to school under your own power. My dad, uh, this is going to really identify us as Texan. My dad tells these stories about summers with his... Um, I guess it was cousins and they'd go, they had this old pickup truck and they'd welded these metal chairs into the back of it. And he's like, and we'd take it on these fields on this land and the youngest one would drive. So the oldest ones could sit in the back with 22s and shoot at rabbits. Yeah. So he's like 11 just driving a pickup truck with two kids, not buckled in sitting in welded on chairs in the back with guns, yeah, shooting at stuff. That's horrible, but that is the best thing I've ever fucking heard. So fun! <laughs> I would do that now. Yeah, I, like I, to me, the like cultural zeitgeist or whatever has swung so far towards just preserve life at all costs. Then mostly the thing that I'm trying to correct for is not being an overly lax parent. It's being an overly uh, parent. You know how everyone was afraid when we were growing up of uh, being kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I wish I had the exact number, but it's something like this. There was an, uh, a, a news story. It was on like the nightly news, like Tom Brokaw or something like that. And it was basically like 80,000 kids were kidnapped last year and everyone lost their fucking mind. It was actually 80. Oh, Jesus. So they were off by about 80,000. Oh my God. But I grew up in fear that I was just going to get snatched at any time. I did too. Yeah. No. So we have kind of a fear-based culture um, in the media, especially, and you know, and it's very hard to combat that. We, we live in one of the safest places and arguably the safest time in human history. And we are the most worried about something happening to our kids. Yeah. You have to question your own objectivity in the likelihood that something horrible is going to happen. Yeah. And then also, I think helicopter parenting, if we change gears, also not only has to do with safety, but has to do with maybe their time. Mm. So, you know, having the kid literally back to back to back to back activities, sometimes three activities a day as the kids get older. Yeah, it's nuts. Not to be like super old school, but like back in my day, we used to have to find our own fun. You know what I mean? But there is something to be said and you hear it again and again. People like longing for the days where kids were bored. And that's where a lot of creativity comes from. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But usually when my daughter tells me she's bored, we send her outside. And 10 minutes later, she's like singing to herself and talking to imaginary people and making some kind of concoction. That always works. It always wins because they'll always find something fun to do. And I'll see them outside like with little hand shovels, like building a pizza out of snow. Mm-hmm. You know, they're playing together, doing it for hours. Mm-hmm. With that said, no hockey. No hockey for you? <laughs> I had no football when I was growing up. I was so mad at my parents, but my parents just said no football. I love hockey. I love playing pond hockey, but just like ice hockey, especially with getting ice time, it's hard. Stinky pads. 
No oh, offense. Yeah, to you just don't want the hassle. It's less about them getting. Yeah, hurt. no, no. But yeah, no. I, I remember my parents. I they we were a hard no football family, and I was furious about that because of injury or, or why no why no football? Yeah, just like head injury, concussion, all that shit. Wow. Um, I mean, they were kind of ahead of their time. Honestly, it was before a lot of that stuff came out about CTE. And- we think about football all the time. Football was one of the most amazing things in my life. Changed my life. Loved it. And then we think about it with our kids. It's like. I did get my clock clean one time where I just literally was like knocked out for a minute and a half. Damn. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. We haven't quite solved that yet. That's what you're, the, the calculus that you're constantly making. There's not a right answer. But one in 10,000 chance of dying is not cool. Yeah. But one in 10,000 chance of breaking their arm, that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. I broke a lot of bones, girl. I broke my nose four times. That's why my face is... That's why you look like that. Yeah. What do you buy? Violet Archer.